Born on a mountaintop in Tennessee Green estate in the land of the free Raised in the woods so he knew every tree Killed him a bar when he was only three Davy, Davy Crockett Fantastic story to tell about his car. Now, get lined up for the one that tops them all. It's the story of Herbie, the screen's first four-cylinder star. Did you see this thing take off? One of your showboat tricks, Mr. Douglas. I tell you, I had nothing to do with it. Hey, we were turning. Groovy, Pop. Groovy. Walt Disney Productions, The Love Bug. He's a scrappy little beetle that adopts a has-been race driver and turns him into a champion. Dean Jones. Hold it, you two. I've done great with this little car so far, thanks to a few changes I made, and if you don't mind, some pretty fair country driving. Michelle Lee. You really think it was you winning those races? Buddy Hackett as Tennessee Steinmetz, a wizard with welded junk who digs the metal physical. I'm your friend and unscrews the inscrutable. David Tomlinson. Tell me, what part of Ireland did you say your mother came from? Coney Ireland. <laughs> and Herbie, shifting for himself against the supercars. No, Herbie! I tell you, there's more going on here than meets the eye. A mind of his own makes Herbie the soul bug of the love generation. Goodbye, Mr. Douglas. What'll I be, Chief? Oh, hey, hey, look, we have a little problem here. Would you mind helping the young lady get her car door open? Look, I'm busy. And furthermore, I ain't no mechanic. Help, I'm a prisoner. I can't get out. We all prisoners, Chicky baby. We all locked in. When Herbie does his thing, it's the funniest thing ever seen on wheels. Wow! Disney Productions, The Love Bug. <laughs> Suggested for general audiences. Welcome, everyone, to a totally Herbie-rific episode of Be Kind, Rewind. 
This is your Disney Plus movie podcast. I, of course, am Dan Teets, and we are joined by the one, the only... Kyra Hawkins. I went too early. (laughs) How are you tonight? I'm good. That is good. We are still missing Icky. He's on assignment. We're hoping that he will be back for the 100th episode which is coming up pretty soon. We're tonight's 98, so we are inching very closer to jazz hands (laughs) and episode 100, and we will let y'all know what we have planned for that next week. So y'all are just going to have to tune in and find out that way. Tonight's episode is the next-to-last episode of the 1960s, so it's a very almost sad day. I guess. But this movie is another one of my favorites. I've watched it several times. I actually watched it for Icky's trivia um, contest that he did back when COVID was going on. And I can't remember if I actually won this contest or not. Or if we won this contest or not. But we are talking about the March 13th, 1969 VW that could also known as The Love Bug. Had you ever watched this movie, or was this one of them that you knew about and never experienced? Um, I knew about it, and I knew, you know, that they remade it sometime, like, either, what was it, late 90s, early 2000s? Somewhere around there. Like, I've always been aware of it, as long as I can remember, Um, but I'd never actually seen it before last week. Really? Okay. Well, yeah. That, well, then this was this was an experience for you, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was it was fun. Like I didn't, I I kind of just really knew um, it's a VW Beetle that races. That's all I knew about it. Yeah, well, I had watched it a couple of times and then got excited when I saw that we were actually getting closer to this one because it holds a dear part in my heart. I have no clue why because it is. Crazy, wacky, insane fun, I guess would be the best way to put it. This movie actually did $51 million in box office, according to Wikipedia. Which, if you put it into today's numbers, is $400 million. So we are getting up to Marvel movie numbers now. I don't even know what Doctor Strange has done, and I probably will not see that until we are covering it in... 23 years or whenever we get to it. Yeah, I feel like I won't get to watch it for another, like, three months at least. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it'll probably be when it actually hits Disney+, Plus, just like the rest of the Marvel movies from, um, what is this, Phase 4? Yes. I should know this. <laughs> well, that that was a pop quiz, so you, I think, I think we both passed on that, but yeah, I've just watched... Really. I've watched one movie in Phase 4, and that was The Eternals, just because I wanted to see what Angelina Jolie was going to do in a Marvel movie. And we will be getting to that one in probably 22 years. <laughs> I was going to say, I watched that one too. We can talk about it, but this is the Love Bug episode. Yes, this is the Love Bug. This is the most adorable little VW that could. So the synopsis which comes to us, as always, care of Wikipedia, goes a little something like this. Jim Douglas is a miserable race car driver 
reduced to competing in demolition derby races against drivers half his age. Jim lives in an old fired house overlooking San Francisco Bay with his friend and mechanic, Tennessee Steinmetz, a jolly Brooklynite who constantly extols the virtues of spiritual enlightenment, having spent time amongst Buddhist monks in Tibet, and builds art from car parts. After yet another race ends in a crash, and Tennessee turns his Edsel into a sculpture, Jim finds himself without a car and heads into town in search of some cheap wheels. He is enticed into an upmarket European car showroom after setting eyes on an attractive sales attendant and mechanic, Carol Bennett. Jim witnesses the dealership's British owner, Peter Thorndike, being unnecessarily abusive towards the white Volkswagen Beetle that rolls into the showroom and defends the car's honor, much to Thorndike's displeasure. After Jim leaves, the car follows him home on his own and parks outside of his house. The following morning, a police officer informs Jim in Tennessee that Thorndike is pressing charges for grand theft. A heated argument between Jim and Thorndike is settled when Carol persuades Thorndike to drop the charges if Jim purchases the car on a system of monthly payments. Jim suspects Thorndike has conned him when the car, scared of the freeway, goes completely out of his control. Tennessee, however, believing, believing certain inanimate objects have hearts and minds of their own and tries to befriend the car, naming it Herbie. Jim's feelings about his new acquisition soon improve when it appears that Herbie is intent on bringing him and Carol together. He also discovers Herbie to have an incredible turn of speed for a car of his size and decides to take him racing. After, after watching Jim and Herbie win their first race together, Thorndike, himself a major force on the local racing scene, offers to cancel the remaining payments Jim owes on Herbie if Jim can win a race where they will both be competing at Riverside later that month. Jim accepts, and despite Thorndike's underhanded tactics, he and Herbie takes the victory. Over the next few months, they go on to become the toast of the racing circuit, while Thorndike suffers increasingly humiliating defeats. Thorndike finally loses his composure and persuades Carol to take Jim out on a date while he goes to Jim's house. After Tennessee gets drunk on his own Irish coffee recipe, Thorndike decides to tip the remainder of the alcoholic coffee and whipped cream into Herbie's gas tank. At the following race day, an apparently hungover Herbie shudders to a halt and backfires while Thorndike blasts the victory. However, as the crowd admires Thorndike's victory, Herbie blows some whipped cream out of his exhaust pipe, covering Thorndike. That evening, Carol comes to Jim's house to help Tennessee repair Herbie having quit working for Thorndike. While waiting for Jim to return, Carol tells, Tennessee tells Carol his thoughts about Herbie having a mind of his own, and she believes him. Jim arrives in a brand new Lambo 400 GT for the upcoming El Dorado road race, intending to sell Herbie back to Thorndike to play the remaining installments that he owes on it. Tennessee and Carol angrily confront Jim to make him realize that Herbie was winning the races while Jim had little to do with it. Herbie, feeling betrayed, proceeds to damage the Lambo, finally proving ascensions to Jim. Herbie then runs off just as Thorndike arrives to collect him. Jim refuses Thorndike's money and sets off into the night 
hoping to find Herbie and make a mint. After narrowly escaping being torn apart in Thorndike's workshop, a destructive spree through Chinatown during the Chinese New Year's parade, Herbie is about to launch himself off the Golden Gate Bridge when Jim reacts and pulls when Jim reaches him. Sorry, in an attempt to stop Herbie from driving off the bridge, Jim is nearly falls into the water himself. Herbie pulls Jim back to safety, but then is impounded by the San Francisco Police Department. There, Tang Wu, a Chinese businessman whose store was damaged during Her Her Herbie's rampage, demands compensation that Jim can no longer afford. Using the Chinese language he has learned while in Tibet, Tennessee reasons with Wu and learns that he is a huge racing fan who recognizes Herbie from the racing magazines. Wu is willing to drop the charges in exchange for becoming Herbie's new owner. Jim agrees to this as long as Wu allows him to race the car in the Eldorado. If Jim wins, Wu can keep the prize money, but will have to sell Herbie back for $1. Wu replies to this proposal in clear English, Now you speak my language. The Eldorado runs through the Sierra Nevada, Sierra Nevada mountains from Yosemite Valley to Virginia City and back. Before the start of the race, Thorndike persuades Wu to make a wager with him on the outcome. Thorndike, with his assistant Habershaw acting as co-driver, initiates every trick known to man to ensure that he and his Thorndike special are leading at the end of the first leg of the race. As a result of Thorndike's shenanigans, Jim, with Carol and Tennessee as co-drivers, limps home last with Herbie missing two wheels and having to use a wagon wheel to get to the finish line. Despite Tennessee's best efforts, it looks as if Herbie is, will be unable to start the return leg of the race the following morning. Thorndike then arrives and claims that this makes him the new owner of the car. Wu regretfully tells Jim of the wager and that in accordance with his terms, this is true. Thorndike, thinking he is Herbie's new owner, gloats to Jim about what he is going to do to Herbie and kicks Herbie's front punch Hit, kicks Herbie's front fender, punches Jim, but Herbie then unexpectedly lurches to life and chases Thorndike from the scene, showing he is more than willing to race on. Thanks to some ingenious shortcuts, Jim is able to make up for the lost time on the second lap and is neck and neck with Thorndike as they approach the finish line. In the ensuing dogfight, Herbie's body begins to crack between the rear and front seats. Tennessee attempts to repair these on the fly with a welder, but the cracks appear faster than he can mend them, and on the final dash to the finish line, Herbie splits in two. The back half, carrying Tennessee in the engine, crosses the finish line ahead of Thorndike, while the front, carrying Jim and Carol, rolls over the finish line just behind, meaning Herbie takes both first and third place. In accordance with the terms of the wager, Wu takes over, his, Wu takes over Thorndike's car dealership, hiring Tennessee as his assistant, while Thorndike and Habershaw are relegated to lowly mechanics. Meanwhile, a fully repaired Herbie chauffeurs the newlyweds Jim and Carol away on their honeymoon. The end. Alright, so I have got bunches and bunches and bunches of notes about this. And I think I heard you turning multiple pages in your notebook. So you yeah. may be the same way. I've got a page front and back and then another page. Well, let's go ahead and um, talk about the elephant in the room. Mr. Banks from Mary Poppins turning into a, the bad guy of the movie. 
but he was still like kind of snobby. Like he started Mary Poppins kind of snobby, right? Yeah. Um, so it's like he kind of regressed once he got <laughs> into this role, and he didn't have a cute little. Well, he tried to steal the love bug, but well. Yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah. yeah whenever um he it got to that scene, I was like, oh, it's Mr. Banks. <laughs> I, I didn't like. I wanted to be surprised, so I don't. I try not to read ahead on Wikipedia until after. I've watched, so that was a nice surprise. It was fun. Unless there's a content. Yes. Yeah, if there's a content warning, I go all in. <laughs> so, yeah, Mr. Banks goes from being a banker to a car salesman, so I don't know if that's a step up or a step down or just a step laterally. And not just a car salesman, but like a luxury car salesman. Yes, very, very nice cars. With the exception of Herbie. Which because, he didn't even seem to realize that he had that car. Yeah. But Herbie is the anthropomorphic Kit in this episode. Because Tennessee actually describes Kit when Jim brings him home. He's like, this car talks. And I'm like, well, that was Knight Rider. This car drives itself. Well, that's Knight Rider. This car has emotions. Well, I don't know if Kit had emotions, but... <clears throat> He could get a little snooty if you weren't nice to him. So, um, yeah. I liked that there like was no explanation for Herbie like having a mind of his own. Mm-hmm. Like I think usually I would be like, well, why didn't they explain that? But I liked that there was no question. Like Herbie just is. Yeah, it's like he was the he was a transformer without actually being a transformer. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of like a puppy, like how he, um, when uh, Jim first meets him in the showroom, he just kind of notices him like a little dog and follows Mm -hmm. him around, and it was sweet. Yeah. And then he follows him home and gets woke up the next morning, and the sheriff is asking him about a stolen vehicle, which kind of made me laugh because Dean Jones... Who is it? I don't I don't even remember his name. I think I referred to him as, as Jim. Yeah, it's Jim. Should have known that. But yeah, I, I think I referred to him as Dean through like three quarters of my notes, just because he's Dean Jones. But when he looks down and sees Herbie resting up against the telephone or the light pole or whatever it is, and it's like, well, how did he get here? And then he start then he goes down and starts accusing Thorndike, who is Banks's given name in this movie, of the good old, well, you roped me into this, so now you're expecting me to pay for it. And I would honestly like to know what type of payment plan he was on. Because it seemed like he was paying more than Herbie was actually worth. Yeah, I didn't write the numbers down, but I kind of thought that too. Like, they, whatever deal they worked out seemed a little seemed a little off. That yeah. maybe we're not supposed to think about that. Yeah. <clears throat> Or maybe we are when we get older, but when you're a kid, you're like, oh, okay, well, I guess sure. he'll be making payments on it for the rest of his life. Um, I I liked how Herbie, like, his shenanigans are just immediate, um, like, popping wheelies and scaring them as he's driving crazy and, um, like, kind of kidnapping. That was fun. <laughs> like, kidnapping um, the, what was her name, Carol? Yeah. Yeah. 
when when Herbie actually expresses himself and says, "Well, this is what I can actually do," nobody believes him. It's kind of a reverse Blackbeard's ghost because nobody believes that Blackbeard's actually there. And then Herbie all of a sudden starts doing things, and nobody really believes that it's real. And of course, Jim's going to take credit for it because he's the master NASCAR driver. <laughs> okay. Um, I was, I guess maybe you're not supposed to think about this either. And I don't know what the history, like, I don't know all the history of racing, but it did occur to me, like, none of this lines up with what stock car racing is today. Well, yeah, especially when the first thing, the first time that you actually see Jim, he's in a demolition derby. Yes, that opening sequence was fun. Yeah. Now, can you explain to me how Carol got her hands greasy when she was just fiddling with spark plugs? I can't, um, because, I don't know, I couldn't tell if she knew what she was doing, really. My um, car knowledge is that, like, I can pop the hood and be like, yep, it's a car. (laughs) (laughs) And that's it. So, she was doing better than I was. Yeah, she... She showed herself to be a rather proficient mechanic, which obviously because she's a woman in the 1960s, that's something that women, and please don't cancel me when you're listening to this, are not supposed to do. They're supposed to do nothing more than take notes, say, yes, Mr. Thorndike, no, Mr. Thorndike, that's not how it works, Mr. Thorndike, and not stick her nose into any thing else about it that's why i liked carol um right off the bat like because when we first meet her all we see is her legs and that's all that jim sees is her legs sticking out from under this sign in the window mm-hmm. and he's like instantly just like ooh legs <laughs> and, and so like you kind of get that impression initially like she's just the babe and the secretary that's like maybe kind of dating the boss because he's like wanting to take her to dinner or whatever. And so you kind of, that's the first impression that that you get of her. But then we quickly find out like, no, she knows what she's talking about when it comes to these cars. Mm -hmm. And um, I really appreciated that for being the sixties and having um, like, she was, she was beautiful and she dressed well, mm-hmm. but then she also, like, wasn't afraid to get her hands dirty, and she knew a lot about the cars. I just found that impressive. Yeah. Especially for the time. Yeah, I was kind of expecting a content warning to pop up with with everything that's going on in, in the world nowadays that you can't say that about women. and. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you shouldn't. It still happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh... So I liked when, um, let's see, I liked when Herbie pretty much kidnaps her with Dean in the driver's seat, Dean, Jim in the driver's seat. It's okay. We, we, we all know who we're talking about. As long as you and I know who we're talking about, we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to try to use like the character names. So it's a little <laughs> less confusing. Um, but the, uh, when they're in the, the drive-in, the drive-in, like, car hop, whatever they were, waitress, whatever they call her, um, mm-hmm. she was funny. But what really stuck out to me in that scene was 
the hippies when she's like banging on the glass and like, let me out, please help me. I'm trapped. I'm, a, I'm being held prisoner or something. And, and the, the one kind of hippie person is like, we're all prisoners, chicky baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we pretty much had Cheech and Chong get introduced in that movie like 10 years before they were even a thing. Oh, you know, we haven't even talked about Tennessee. Well, it's a, it's a good state. It makes good whiskey. What else do we need to know about it? No, Buddy Hackett. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> um, I liked how he, he didn't seem right off the bat as like a character who you would think of as like enlightened and, and spiritual in the way that he is. Um, but he's also kind of kooky, which I appreciate. Yeah. It, but the fact that he understood cars and knew how to actually take them apart, as was rep- represented by the Edsel um, grill sitting in the middle of his sculpture at the very beginning. But he was the first one that actually recognized the importance of having a Herbie. Because mm-hmm. it actually said in, well... Yeah, the car was later given the name Herbie by because of, because of one what he named it after his uncle or something. Yeah, <laughs> but according to Wikipedia, the name Herbie actually comes from one of Buddy Hackett's skits about a ski instructor named Klaus who speaks with a German accent as he introduces fellow ski instructors who are Hans, Franz, Wilhelm, and Sander. At the end of the skit, Hackett would say, "If you don't have a Hoybie, I ain't going." So, Interesting. Yeah, but he kind of knew that Herbie was a kindred soul, so to speak. And he knew that he wasn't getting a fair shake from Jim, especially when Jim started taking credit for winning all the races. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, hang on. Sorry. I got lost in my notes. <laughs> That's a good thing. Now, this this movie was obviously set in San Francisco, because Jim takes the windiest road in San Francisco just a little bit too fast with Herbie when he when he's driving him through town to try to figure him out to figure him out. Yeah. And I was like, I don't think I ever caught that in all of my previous watches. I was like, how is that even possible in unless they ran it unless he drove it really slow and then they just sped it up like Disney is known to do in some of their movies. Which I'm okay with. Yeah. When they usually when they do that, it's to comedic effect. Yeah. Makes it more fun. So the very first race that Jim runs is at Jackrabbit Springs. I don't know why, but that name just cracks me up every time that I that I see it. Because it's like this little podunk dirt track race, for lack of a better term. Actually, I think that actually it actually was a dirt track, and it was the. Because they began, they began and ended the the races on dirt tracks. Because the the big one for the car and for the title and for everything else was was a race to Tijuana, was it or tequila? Uh, at the very end, do you mean? Yeah. I thought that was El Dorado. I might be wrong. Yeah. I can't find it in my notes. Um, but they did have. One of the early races seemed to be, I I thought it was in Tijuana. Um, that's the one where somebody hits a cactus. Yes. 
and it is clearly a fake cactus, which both times I watched this movie made me laugh out loud. Yeah, I actually I had that I had that note down as a cactus that was hit looked like wood. It did, or like styrofoam or something. Um, so I don't did they won that race too, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I think he won every race until Herbie got um, roofied. Yeah. Oh, okay. So in between those two, um, he goes and buys. No, no, no. Carol, like, I don't remember what is that yellow car that she brings him, but he's like excited to drive the yellow car. Yeah. And, and she's like, don't you think you're doing okay with the little car? And he's like, hmm, uh, without a real car, I'm only half a man. Yeah. Wait, oh, my goodness. Yes, cars make the man. We all know that's how it works. When he said that, I was like, okay, that's a little bit dramatic, Jim, but all right. Um, yeah, and I, I was actually looking up the red car. That is a Lamborghini 400 GT. It oh. had a production run of 247, Did which it is say now how much 246. Yeah. I, I don't think it I don't think it did actually say how much he paid for it. He was he was in hock for it, I know that much, because he had he had basically taken out a loan on what he thought he was going to do with it. Yeah. Oh, you, you know we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. You mentioned Herbie getting roofied. I think we need to talk about that for a second. Yes. Because, um, like I that happened while he was like I don't think it was a date with Carol, was it? Like, they were just out driving in the nice car. And then Thorndike shows up at his place and is like, he gets Tennessee drunk and is dumping Irish coffee into Herbie's field tank. Is that right? Yes. And he kind of has, like, an Irish coffee hangover. Yeah. And he and he spits out a big wad of foam. Thorndike like... got hit so <laughs> many times in so many different places in the face with either oh, oil but... or foam or mud. But yeah, <laughs> I I kind of felt sorry for Herbie at that point. Which I mean, I know it's a car, but you you develop you develop emotions while you're watching a movie like this. Yeah, well, I did. He's just a car, but like they they give him some traits and characteristics that make you care, and that I think um, it's effective. It makes it a good movie because mm-hmm. you start. I mean, anytime they can make you care about the characters, that's never a bad thing. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Um, I kind of was feeling sorry for him too, but I liked how he was like exacting his revenge on Thorndike by constantly like. Mm-hmm. It almost seemed like. The times that oil like spill out on a shoe, it made me think of like a dog peeing on somebody, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was funny. Um, but yeah, then Herbie destroys the Lambo. Oh god, that 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 hurt. But that's it's... when Jim like realizes, oh, I'm not really the one winning any of these races. Yeah, and so he goes off to try to find Herbie, and this is another indicator that it was actually in san francisco because he drives out on the golden herbie drives out on the golden gate bridge to try to commit suicide 
Yes, but then he ends up saving Jim, who I don't remember, but was he out there to do the same thing? No, Jim went out to try to find Herbie. Oh, that's right, and because, then he let come. Because he had realized that Herbie was actually the car for him, I think. Especially considering his Lambo is now in pieces yeah. in front of the firehouse. You're the, literally the only car for me now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> this made me laugh a little bit. I mean, it's not funny that Herbie is like, I mean, pretty much suicidal. They don't say that, but um, he saves Jim. And then like the cops that are nearby, like one of them describes what's happening he realizes he sounds crazy, and the other one says, you've been spending too much time on the Haight-Ashbury beat. Yeah, man. Which, I didn't catch it the first time I watched it, but the second time I did, and oh my gosh, when I got the joke, I laughed and laughed. Yeah, that, I mean, there, there was, it was, there were sad parts, but they knew how to bring it back with humor, I think is, is the important part of this movie. Um... Let me back up to a point that I don't know if you caught or not. When Tennessee was fixing the Irish coffee, he was using a flamethrower or a blowtorch. I missed that. And he had on asbestos gloves because he was pointing the blowtorch directly onto the coffee pot. And then as soon as he was done with it, he takes off the gloves and pours the coffee. No, I didn't catch any of that. I just knew Irish coffee. I was like, um, nobody's going to mention that your hands are now completely blistered and you can't do anything for the rest of the movie? No. Because he did it not, he did it twice during that little, during that whole skit. And it was, it was not, no, nobody picked up on it, which I guess was the comedic, was the comedy in that part of the movie. Now I'm going to have to watch this a third time. You're welcome. <laughs> um, let's see. Where were we? Um... Herbie runs off, destroys Chinatown, which oh, yeah, yeah. is an actual accurate depiction of the Chinese in Chinatown. Or I would think so because they didn't have a content warning at the very beginning. Yeah, it was nice to finally have like Asian culture depicted in a Disney movie that mm -hmm. wasn't in a gross, like demeaning way. I appreciated that. Yeah. Um, and then we, I mean, the second half of the movie has quite a bit of it because, um, you know, Herbie gets, um, impounded. Yeah. And, um, then we get, um, what's his name? Tang Wu. Is that right? I just put down Mr. Wu. I, I didn't. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So we get, yeah, Mr. Wu, and um, then he is a major player in the rest of the movie. Um, and that's how we get into the Eldorado race, right? Yes, because it, cause it was the final race, because if Jim didn't win, meaning if Harvey doesn't help Jim win, mm -hmm. he's going to have to give up the car, and we don't really even know what the what the rest of the ramifications are. But we see the ramifications at the very end of the movie if Thorndike does lose. Yeah, because it's like Jim makes a deal with Mr. Wu, like thanks to Tennessee, like being fluent in Chinese, mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. 
Um, except that Wu speaks English pretty fluently. So yeah. I guess he was just like, oh, I can speak Chinese. And it like, that's kind of what wins him over, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Jim and Wu make the deal that they make. But then Wu kind of like on the sly makes the deal with Thorndike. Mm-hmm. Unbeknownst to Jim. So it's like, I don't know if that's the same as being double crossed, but it was unfair to Jim, especially since he didn't know. Yeah. But did you notice that they said small print on documents originated with Mr. Thorndike? I noticed that, but I, I didn't, I think like I didn't make some connections in there. And then it was the fine print that actually ended up messing with Thorndike at the very end of the movie. Oh, that's right. Okay. I remember that now. So this was a two-day race, I think, and where you left or where you came in was how early you left the next day. Mm-hmm. And so they're driving through town. They're driving from wherever to wherever, and somehow they come come into a Chinese camp, which immediately made me think: Is this the same Chinese camp as Bullwhip Griffin? I have I wrote that in my notes the first time I watched it, and then the second time I caught that they were talking about the mother load. Um, so That's that, what actually made me write it down. I was like, um, is this the same camp? It has to be. Like, there's no other explanation, right? Yeah. You would think. And so it's like, this is in the same universe as Bullet Griffin. And my like mind was blown. It's like, this is so fun. Well, you uh-huh. know everything is connected. We will find a way to connect everything into the universe. So there's your there's your tie-in for this movie so this like long extended race scene scenes whatever sequence was packed with so much action and like a ton of hilarious jokes Mm -hmm. that i didn't i'm i'm i really think i'm gonna watch this again soon because (laughs) i'm sure i missed some um like the part where uh i don't even remember how it happens but like thorndike's like you get like a co-pilot or co-driver or somebody in the car with you and his little guy ends up out of the car but a bear is in the car with thorndike and as they speed past uh tennessee's like who's the guy in the fur coat and i almost did a spit take (laughs) yeah i mean with with I mean, we're like two-thirds of the way through the movie now, and this is where the the intensity gets ratchet, ratcheted up a couple of notches, but it still found ways to make you laugh. Like, the, I have no clue how the bear even got in the car, and I've watched this movie numerous times over the last two years. It's not even in the synopsis. I don't remember, but if whatever happened, it was funny. I'm j- I still don't think they understood physics when they went into the the mine shaft and Herbie Herbie was the only car that actually made it to an elevator and somehow they tilted Herbie up onto its onto his hind bumper and then somehow just lifted themselves up with a hand pull elevator. You're not supposed to think about that, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Um, 
Having had issues with my car, when Herbie actually sputters at the end of the first day, it didn't sound like it was anything wrong with it except her starter. Because the because it sounded like it was trying to turn over, but it wouldn't it wouldn't connect. Which that's nothing more than just changing out a starter. Now I don't know how much a starter would cost for a nineteen what, fifty, sixty? Love bug? Beats me. <laughs> I'm sure we have car aficionados who can write in to the show and tell us. And the email to send it to is bekindrewind dmp at gmail.com. So let us know how much it would would have cost for or how much it costs now for a a starter in a Volkswagen of any kind prior to the new bug. Um man, there's so much that happens like through the course of this race. Um but are you talking about like before or after Herbie's like kind of hanging off the side of a cliff? Um I'm talking about at the very end of the first day when he when they're trying to figure out what's wrong with him. Oh, like when they have made yeah. it into the town. Yeah. So before that, there's the part where he's like kind of teetering on the edge and they're trying to get mm-hmm. um to the end like to the other end of the car to kind of balance the weight out and or even him out. And Jim is like don't move. And Tennessee is standing up in the car and says, is it okay if I cry real soft? <laughs> <laughs> I, oh my gosh, this, there's so much that happens in this that made me laugh that I could probably talk about this movie for a long time. <laughs> yeah, and the, and the fact that somehow Herbie was being held together pretty much by duct tape and bubble gum by the end of the movie. Where did he, unless it was from the driving on two tires and a wagon wheel, and then just having all the other issues, it just completely splits the car? Um, well, he does fall out of a tree. Oh, yeah, that's right. right. And Tennessee is like, I think he did something to himself. Yeah. And that's when um, he starts to weld Herbie together. And Jim is like, what are you doing back there? And he's like, don't think about it. Just drive. Yeah, which actually I wrote down, who brings a butane welding torch on a car race? <laughs> I don't know. You know what? An Enneagram 6 does that. We're prepared for <laughs> every worst case scenario. I bet Tennessee is a 6. Possibly. Um, yeah, like, just keep driving, try not to think about it, made me laugh both times I watched this, because it's just, his delivery of every line, like, just, Tennessee is delightful, Buddy Hackett's wonderful, I loved it. Now, before the car actually, well, it splits, and then it, like, expands into a long stretch bug. Mm Mm-hmm. The gear shift is between Jim and Tennessee. It's like in the middle of nowhere. So it's a good thing that he didn't have to downshift or shift gears during that. Because I don't know how Tennessee would have gone up. And once again, I'm probably overthinking the movie. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. That's the that's the theme of this movie. Just don't overthink it. It's a it's a fun ride. Herbie doesn't need explanation. Herbie just is. 
Herbie is. I like that. Alright. So, end of the race. Herbie takes first place and third place. Which is always a great line. The little car takes first place and third place. Yes, this is where I, <laughs> I've written, this is impossible. The rear passes the front. This is bananas. <laughs> now, was that on your first watch through or the second one? First watch. And then the second time through, you just went through and enjoyed it and yeah. wrote down all the funny stuff. Yeah, I took uh, the things I wrote down the second time were mostly things I missed the first time. But yes, like, <laughs> it's cuckoo bananas. The, the car splits in half. And he's <laughs> like, how how does this happen? And how does he have that much, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like force to keep him going through the finish line. There's, yeah, <laughs> exactly. It just is what it is. Okay. And that's crazy. All right. When they win the race, did the first kiss between Jim and Carol look a little forced to you? Um, when they win the race. I don't remember that, but, like, their first kiss was um, after the, like, it was the first night, like, when they stopped in that little town. Um, and okay, well, I, then, well, then their second kiss at the end of the race, it looked like he just pulls her in and... Starts licking her face, for lack of a better term. <laughs> and just like... <clears throat> I don't remember that. Well, it's going to be another thing to have to watch on your fifth rewatch. Yeah. Um, so I liked... So, like, you know, they win the race. He gets to keep the car, whatever. Um, I, the fine print was of the contract with uh, Wu and Thorndike was... I. I don't remember because I didn't write it down, but somehow Thorndike and his little crony, um, I think his name is ha- Haversaw. Haversaw. Yes. Um, end up working for Wu, which was funny to me. And it reminded me of um, the end of Robin Hood where like the bad guys end up working for the good guys. Well, we will be getting to Robin Hood in the, in the very distant 2042. We are going to just go ahead and throw that one to the back end after everything else. No, you're not. <laughs> and I kid, I kid. I could not do that. I'm right. so excited about Robin Hood that I'm nervous because I don't know how to talk about a movie I love so much. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, love bug. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm going to rewind a little bit because actually one, one thing that I laughed at and had to write down... In the Tijuana race, how does a bus actually enter a race? Shh. <laughs> I don't know, but I thought it was fun that all the cars were different. Like, in stock car racing today, they all have to be, like, like they have regulations. They're all the same. Like, you have different manufacturers, mm-hmm. but the the inner workings of the car and different, like they have standards that everyone has to follow. And this one was just drive whatever you feel like if it's fast. Yeah. It it kind of hit me as a speed racer type of race where it was like, you have all the different cars. You have the little dune buggy, which I believe, um, Kurt Russell drives in the next race. I don't know. Maybe. Um, yeah, it's, if you have not watched this film, what are you waiting for? You could pause this podcast and come back. This this movie is well worth your time and your 
hour and 40 minutes, I think it is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a nice tight run time. That's yeah. just refreshing. Yeah, especially having been put through two hours and 49 minutes of a movie that made us want to talk about Twister. Yeah. That's... Uh, yeah, th- this movie and next week's movie, I actually thought about this today. Like, these are both movies that don't make you want to talk about other movies. <laughs> Let me look. I'm looking to see. Um, When Jim and Carol start talking and he compares her to General Grant. Exactly. I wish we, I wish we could put this face up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just like, mm, I don't know if I remember that part. Yeah, he meant it as a compliment to compare a very nice-looking young lady to the 18th president of the United States. I'm not sure that was a compliment. No, I wouldn't. No, I can't. I don't know. In 2022, there are some really pretty men that I think I would be okay with being compared to to that person, but mm, probably not. Um old president yeah um oh well the world's youngest podcast host has made an appearance (laughs) um when thorndike and havershaw are driving down the hill and somehow havershaw gets replaced by the bear Mm -hmm. how in the world do you miss that many trees and you end up running into a fir because you 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 see the you see it from the Driver's point of view, you see the car just swerving and missing tree after tree after tree. And then somehow, the instant that he does whatever he has to do with his glasses or whatever, he runs right into a tree. Or is that another? Well, I seem to recall, like, there was mud involved. Like, at some point, he gets completely covered in mud, so he can't really see. Mm -hmm. And I think that that might be when the switch happens. Yeah. Um, somewhere in there. When the bear gets out, like when he realizes that he's in the car with the bear and comes to a complete stop, that part made me laugh a lot too. I just remembered because like he gets out and the bear gets out and they both like run away from each other screaming. <laughs> yeah. And then when Havers- or, um, Thorndike actually gets swallowed by Herbie. And then he's walking around like he's got a severely compressed spine, I guess would be the proper medical term for it. Well, and then at some point he says, I'm beginning to sense this car might have it out for me or something like mm-hmm. that. Like, yeah, he's been after you from the beginning. Yes, from the very first time when he sprayed excess oil on your nice fine shoe. <laughs> yes. You peed on him. Yes. Um, let me see. The old man who was putting the gas in the car in the Chinese town. Okay. His thought that he told Thorndike was, hurry is waste, waste is crack bowl, which never know rice. And then Thorndike's like, all right, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. And the old man had actually chained the car to the gas pump. I like how they sabotaged him. Like it took forever to pump his gas or whatever. But then like they get Herbie in and out like an actual NASCAR pit stop. Yeah. And it was all because that whole town was run by Wu. I think it was another Wu enterprise. Enterprise. 
Yes. Oh, uh, let me see. Mr. Wu actually said that Herbie was a was a small car, very angry and very strong, strength of forty horses. Mm-hmm. Okay, which would not make a very fast car in today's market, especially when you're going up against the what the yellow Thorndike special. Yeah, whatever that cute car was, it was a cute car. Yeah, yeah. There were there were some very nice cars that I had to gaze at longingly. Because they will never be in my driveway or in my <laughs> car garage. There were nice cars in this movie that really were just, like, they didn't really get any attention. They were just kind of in the background. Yeah, and it, and it all started with the first car that Herbie actually hit. Thorndike's original, I think that was a Rolls that he had. Yes. I was like, oh, gosh. It makes me hurt having worked in insurance for seven years to see... <laughs> accidents i mean even when there's no damage because herbie is made completely of rubber obviously until he breaks apart at the very end so yeah but since you mentioned that i'm like herbie did a lot of damage but he didn't actually get any kind of dents or scratches or anything until the very end yeah when tennessee um bends the rear bumper um let me see i think that's I actually think I've got everything covered on this, and this might be because I was thrown out of my rhythm with the world's youngest podcast host, but he's okay. Do you have any other comments, notes, Uh, memorable repartee? I don't think so. I just, I didn't know quite what to expect, and so (laughs) I went in not knowing much and not having any expectations, and I really enjoyed this movie. Well, good, especially considering you've already said you're going to have to rewatch it. Eight times. Now, will you watch this by yourself, or will you have Keaton sit down for a little bit? Um, I might see if she'll watch it. She's kind of, like, she's pretty active, so we'll see how long she lasts. But <laughs> I may try. Well, just pause the movie, and every time that she comes back and sits back down, you start the movie up. Oh, honey, you haven't missed anything. Well, school's almost out, so we'll have... <laughs> We'll have a lot more time together pretty mm. soon, so might might squeeze it in. If I started early in the morning when she first gets up, she might sit still for a little longer. <laughs> All right. Well, I am glad that you enjoyed this. Like I said, I was I was excited when I saw this one was coming up, and it's obvious because we've been talking for probably an hour almost about this movie. So we will go ahead and shift gears. To the three important questions. Shift gears. Oh wow! I didn't. <laughs> I didn't even realize. Wow. Okay. I thought you did it on purpose. For once, no, I did not. The first question, of course, is what is today's impact of the movie? Well, considering this movie spawned several sequels and a reboot, which starts with Julian. Which, unfortunately, we will have to cover in about 15 years. And I don't remember liking that one as much as this one. I was going to ask if you'd seen it, because I haven't. I just was kind of aware of it. Um, I actually might look forward to that, because um, I like Lindsay Lohan. The one good thing that it has is that it has Michael Keaton. Oh, that's fun. So, I, I I will say that is a good point to look forward to a remake of a movie. Or a reboot, or whatever you might want to call it. I don't think it actually got any any spinoffs or sequels. 
Um, we actually had a fairly good representation of all parties involved for once, which is surprising, especially in the late 60s. Um, I, I mean, I can't really think of anything negative on this movie. No. I mean, if they were going to do this... I mean, they've already made a remake, so why would they do it again? But who knows? Like, I mean, obviously, they'd probably use different cars. But, like, Herbie has to be a VW Beetle. Yeah. Well, I don't know. If Michael Bay gets a hold of it, it might end up being a Trans Am. Uh, Let's hope that doesn't happen. Yeah. Please, Disney, stay away from Michael Bay. He's bad for movies. Or so I've been told. Is this movie mirrored in culture? I mean, I don't think it hurt VW sales. No, that's that's a definite. I don't think it hurt it. I think more people were actually trying to buy VWs after watching this movie. If you were actually inspired to buy a VW after watching this movie, please write in to us. Let us know if it gave you all of the fun that Herbie actually did. The email, of course, is BeKindRewindDMP at gmail.com. Um, the third and final question, is this reflected in society. Actually, I do have something as far as Disney goes, and this was as of probably 10 years ago, so things are subject to change, but the split VW Herbie was actually in front of the um, sports car stunt show at Hollywood Studios, and was actually used as a part of it. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, because it actually, it broke, it comes out together and then it breaks apart as the show's actually going on and the two pieces drive around and make mayhem and all kinds of nonsense. So this this movie is actually getting representation in in the um, Disney parks as of, like I said, about 10 years ago when I last went. Um, I mean, with there not really being any negative stereotypes, any negative depictions... Other than, of course, the shady car dealers, which, I mean, mm. what are you going to do? Yeah, they exist. Yeah. I would say this is this is actually a fairly good representation and fits fairly well, into, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, even, like, the character of Carol, like, they wouldn't really have to change much no. for her. No. Which, that's, it's, I don't know. Like I said, it was refreshing to have, like... An actual, like, non-negative depiction of Asians and um, and then to not have, like, any sexism directed towards Carol, like, in any way mm-hmm. was, was nice and kind of surprising, actually. Yeah, especially for this time of, of movies that were being made. All right, do you have anything that hasn't been covered that you would like to mention before we wrap up the show? I have one final note, and it is okay. that the music in this movie is amazing. Like, <laughs> I could not stop myself from dancing and singing or, like, humming along to it as it was going. It was yeah, really- I, I actually commented that the music, especially for the um, race sequence, made me either want to get up and dance or go for a very long run. Yeah, it was fun. I really enjoyed the music. Okay. Well, we are going to go from one fun movie to another fun movie. We are closing out the 60s with a bang. 
your assignment for next week, which trust me, you will not hold me as having made you sit through a boring movie with this one, is the first Kurt Russell movie in the Disney Pantheon. The next movie is The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes. And we will be back with that next week, as well as with our exciting news that we are trying to make happen for episode 100. So tune in next week. Kyra's smiling, so that means it's going to be good. We, we got several things in the pipeline, so we're going to going to try to get them all lined up and in order for you. But until we meet again, stay hungry, stay safe, and stay out of Herbie's line of fire. <laughs> Have a good night, y'all. Thank you for listening. You can send us feedback at BeKindRewindDMP at gmail.com. We welcome any kind of feedback, and it might get read on the air in a future podcast. Once again, the email address is BeKindRewindDMP at gmail.com. If you have a moment, please rate and review our podcast on whatever streaming service you are listening to us on. This and word of mouth are the two ways to help us reach a larger audience. Thank you in advance for doing this. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day. Goodbye. Greetings, Earthlings. We are now taking over your radio. And we're back. Yes. Right. I don't know where Dan is, but we're back.